3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is Tuesday the 24th of May and it's just past 7am. You're joined in the studio today with me, Carnegie, Fung and Genevieve. How are you guys? Good morning. Yeah, very good. Thank you. (laughs) And we also have in the studio this morning, Jasmine, who will be joining us shortly to play some songs. Yeah, welcome, Jasmine. (laughs) Um, Do we want to start by mentioning what happened on the weekend? I feel like I can't think of anything else. Like beforehand, I was like, "Hmm, what should we talk about this morning? I was like, all I can think about is the election. But before we do, does anyone have... Any non-election anecdotes from the weekend? Uh, no. I was quite sick last week. Oh, no. <laughs> but I did watch an incredible show about uh, mustard dogs, which actually made me feel so good. <laughs> I'm about sorry, what? what? Sorry? <laughs> Do you know those dogs that, like, herd cattle? Like, puppies oh, and stuff? Right. Um, yeah, it was, like, the most heartwarming show I've ever seen. Is it Aww. that competition... Is it like a show where they bring yeah. <laughs> like city dogs? Oh no. It's, it's like, like a competition where they get they have like a day to sort of No. Okay. No, sorry. I'm thinking of the wrong I'm thinking of the wrong dog show. They like they're from this like very prestigious breeder and then they put them all over Australia and over the course of a year they train them in different farms. Um but it's just like oh I was just like farmers and they're just <laughs> They're dogs, and it's just so beautiful. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. I was also delirious and, like, yeah. a bit sickly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very wholesome. What's the name of it? It's called Muster Dogs. Okay, Muster Dogs. Yeah. Right, well, if anyone needs, like, a feel-good TV I, yeah, show, <laughs> that's Genevieve's I've been talking about it. I, like, have been bombarding my housemates with just, like, annoying. Muster Dog yeah. trivia. Yes. yes. Where can we watch it? <laughs> Um, it's on ABC iView. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that, Jeff. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting it, but here we are. Um, um, yes. Did anyone watch the election coverage on yes. Saturday? I watched the entire thing. Me too. Yeah. yeah. It was quite long. Yeah, it was. <laughs> which is a change from last time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, zoning in and out of it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just so I was expecting the worst, as I do. Mm. So pretty pleased with the result, given that um, I was expecting much, much worse. Yeah, were and you surprised? I was uh, a little bit. Yeah. To, to be honest, I'm a bit of a cynic and I think yeah. the world's a terrible place. Yeah. So um, I was thinking that the coalition would lose with a, like a lower margin. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty pleased that there was a bit of a swing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was surprised with all the independents. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm. And there were a lot of close calls as well mm-hmm. um, in a lot of seats. 
which was pretty nerve-wracking and also exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah especially like with Kuyong, Josh Rando, mm. and Griffith. Is it Griffith? Where like Brighton, that like whole Bayside coastline is like independent, yeah. which is like never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So super interesting shift mm-hmm. politically in lots of lots of areas. Um, even places like Parramatta and Sydney surprised me. Yeah. Um, but good result mm. for Iran. Mm. Yeah. And lots of work to happen. Uh, it's a lot of work to do now as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, Albanese's speech was really good, but I'm sitting there the whole time being like, is is any of this going to happen? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's definitely important to keep the government accountable for what they're saying they're going to do. Um, but it's also good that there's a bit of balance. There's other voices in parliament. Um, so that I find that to be a slight positive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, well... Let's talk about what's coming up on the show this morning. What, what are we starting off with, Jen? Yes, I uh, had a chat to Matisse, Lottie and Angelica about a new play that they're putting on called Club Night. Um, it's kind of in conjunction with uh, quite a well-known meme page on Instagram called Club Night Guest List. Um, if anyone was really bored during lockdown, I'm sure that you've come across it Um it's got a lot of affirmations specifically dedicated to Northside uh, Zuma culture. But yeah, I had a chat to them about their upcoming play and uh, more about, I guess, the Melbourne scene, uh, which was really funny and interesting. <laughs> Uh, at 7.30, we're going to be speaking with someone from Anak Bayan, Sydney, which is a national democratic mass organisation of the Filipino youth. And we're going to be speaking about the Filipino diaspora, also the impact of the recent presidential elections in the Philippines. So that's coming up at 7.30. And after that, at 7.45, we'll be speaking to Jessie Lloyd, who's a First Nations artist. Her new album uh, called The Alien Songs Projects, Four Winds album, is coming out today so we're going to be talking about that and also playing one of her songs which is really exciting Uh, and then at eight o'clock we'll be speaking with dr brandy cotrain from victoria university uh about the far right and um the possible banning of the swastika in victoria and then finally coming up at quarter past eight uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, Tilly Glasgow-Dine, who we've had on the show before. Um, she came on the show last time to talk about a, an event that Incendium Radical Library was doing at the NGV, and she's back to talk about her new project, Another World Library, um, as well as a course that they're putting on in Collingwood called Utopian Visions, which looks at speculative fiction and utopian theory. So, yeah, that's coming up last on the show today amazing so we've got a big show coming up um and we will be right back with the news headlines after this get ready to add your support during our annual radiothon and help keep communities strong 3cr radiothon fundraiser june 2022 to donate call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3cr radiothon 2022 keep communities strong Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, the headlines this morning 
Um, of course, we just, before the break, <laughs> had a quick chat about the election result. Um, does anyone have anything further to say on the matter? No, I think I, I, I knew that we were going to discuss the headlines, but I just couldn't help myself and brought it up before then. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I've been obsessively thinking about it. So. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, well, I, I was surprised Anthony Albanese is already in Tokyo uh, with the Foreign Affairs Minister to meet with leaders of Japan, India and the United States for a meeting of the Quad. Yes, there was a lot of discussion about that on the ABC. Mm. They kept asking, yeah. who's going who's gonna to go if we don't have, if we haven't decided on a government? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's happening today or yesterday. I can't speak for the Japanese government, but I do have a feeling that the Indian government's not going to be too happy with the change in Australian government. Mm-hmm. which brings me immense joy. <laughs> um, in other headlines, uh, an activist has crashed the Cannes Red Carpet Film Festival. Um, she was protesting the uh, the rape um, of women and children in Ukraine by Russian soldiers. She arrived at the event painted in the colours of the Ukrainian flag with the words stop raping us written across her chest and the words scum on her back which is the name of a French collective of radical feminists um, She, the intent was to expose um, the war rapes and sexual torture committed in Ukraine In other news um, Ethiopia has been in a civil war since November 2020 um, when the central government sent troops in to topple the Tigray region's governing TPLF party, saying that it was in response to rebel attacks on army camps. Um, the Tigray People's Liberation Front has said that they are releasing 4,208 prisoners of war, which includes 401 women. Um, they are to be released in amnesty, and those with disabilities, illnesses, and women who gave birth in detention are being given priority for release. Um, the announcement came as the UN said more than 300 aid trucks arrived in Tigray this month. Um, and according to the UN, this war has seen hundreds of thousands of people have been driven to the brink of famine, with more than 2 million people having been displaced and more than 9 million left in need of food aid. Um, so they are hoping that this is a sign that things are going to improve. Um, and it's come after the Ethiopian government declared an indefinite humanitarian truce to allow delivery of humanitarian aid into Tigray on the 24th of March. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely watch that space. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, those are some news headlines from around the world. Uh, we might play a song up next. Actually, we will go to a quick message before we play that song, and we'll be right back. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. 
They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, up next, we're going to play a song by Haiku Hands. This is called Bye Bye, and it is in honor of the coalition government being voted out. Bye bye by Haiku Hands. 
All right, we're going to go into a conversation I had. Um, I was very lucky to have a chat to Matisse, Lottie and Angelica, who are all actors and writers of the upcoming comedic play Club Night. Club Night follows three reunited friends in Nam as they dive into a satirical exploration of the notorious Melbourne scenes. It feels like this one might uh, hit real close to home for some of our listeners. Uh, it was for me, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and we discussed how the idea for Club Night arose, the iconic meme page accompanying the play, Club Night guest list, and of course, the Melbourne scene. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Matisse, Lutty, and Angelica. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. That was such a beautiful synchronized. Hello. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've been working together a lot. We, yeah. we spend much time together. Yeah, <laughs> That's good, I can tell. Um, okay, so we're obviously here to talk about your upcoming play, uh, which is Club Night. I wanted to just to start off, you know, um, this was, I believe, something that was cooked up during lockdown. Uh, yeah. Could you take us through, you know, what are the origins of Club Night and why did you decide uh, to write it? I guess I'll start because Angelica and I met um, at university Mm -hmm. uh, doing creative writing and we were like, we're not getting enough jobs. So uh, acting wise and writing wise, so we should create something um, ourselves. And I think we were having lots of conversations about what Melbourne theatre needed. um, And we thought that we could do a bit of a critique on uh, the scenes that we kind of operate in and also see all the hypocrisies and uh, comedy in those scenes. Um, so we kind of started looking at the, the nightclubs and the nightlife of Melbourne that we knew um, and writing kind of satirically about it. And then we thought all good players have three characters and we wanted someone, you know, with different experiences than we have. Um, and so then we asked Matisse to come on in and create a character. Yeah, and I met Lottie on a short film like three years ago or something, and I met Angel on a web series that we were working on last year. So it all just kind of came together really organically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I really want to talk about the meme page because I think it's like <laughs> I would be I would be very surprised if uh, not many of our listeners haven't heard of Club Night guest list as in the meme page. Um, yeah. I definitely know it's pretty renowned, especially in these northern parts of Melbourne. <laughs> um, so I guess I wanted to talk about, you know, it, for, for our listeners, pretty much it's an Instagram page with affirmations directed towards, you know, the cliches of Melbourne, I think particularly Northside wokeness uh, and the cringe, I guess, of the Northside. Um, but, you know, I wanted to ask, how did the meme page start up? And was it before you realised you wanted to write the play or um, was it kind of accompanying the play itself? Yeah, so the um, meme page started as a kind of guerrilla marketing strategy. So we had the idea for the play um, and that was well on its way. And then during one of the lockdowns, I was you know, trying to think how we could market this show to the right audience. And obviously memes were doing so well during the lockdown because it was such a vital way to kind of depict our experience and to relate to others. And I thought 
you know, it would make perfect sense to kind of parody what we see around us and then regurgitate it as a meme and then slide it into the play itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the memes that you see on the page are actually quotes from the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really clever. You can kind of see um, it's something that a lot of, I think, Gen Z people are doing, even like prior to starting like a podcast, there'll be like a meme page. But I think it's like a great way to relate um, and promote. Um, and you've done a really good job of promoting it. Yeah. For ages, we kept it a secret <laughs> that it was, yeah. we kept it a secret that it was us and we kept yeah. it a secret that it was the play. Mm. And I think people still don't know from my understanding. People still have no idea that the meme page is club night and they need to get tickets to come see it in real life. (laughs) This is is the big reveal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, admin reveal, babe. And like, I think what the meme page did was just bring in a whole new audience that don't usually see theatre or that have preconceptions about theatre being old and white which is completely true and what we wanted to do is say to our communities they are welcome to come to our show and it's a show for them and that theatre doesn't have to be what they what they think it was before. Exactly we want I feel like so many people feel so disconnected to theatre especially people who are our age and who are in this like in a north scene mm-hmm. um and if you want to come and see a theatre work that is not Hamlet, <laughs> <laughs> that is not Shakespeare, that is something that you can relate to, um, yeah. I think it's perfect. It's very, it's different. It's not regular theatre. It's cool theatre. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very into that. It's not kind of like drenched in academic jargon, which is usually... Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and um, I guess, you know, getting into the nitty-gritty of the play itself, uh, without giving too much away, of course, what exactly is the play about? What kind of storyline does it follow? So it follows three old friends um, who are reunited. Um, They used to do youth theatre together, and now they kind of have this kind of stilted annual catch-up that feels somewhat obligatory and they decide to go out on the town. So they each kind of occupy a different social clique within the Nam scene, and they kind of act as tourists when they're not in their space. So one character belongs to a certain lip sync venue in the Fitzroy areas, and then one belongs to more of like a woo-woo house kind of party in the northern suburbs and then the other is one of those uh raver kind of like park rave you wouldn't know about it (laughs) Um, so yeah it's a it's about the way that these people used to know each other and maybe are rediscovering themselves and what their friendship might look like years after yeah Yeah. expect references galore Mm. oh my god love (laughs) I think the subject matter you're tackling is like obviously particularly interesting um, and provocative. And I think that no one's really like tackled it in the form that you're doing it. 
um, obviously you focus on Gen Z in Nam and uh, obviously because of the lockdown, we've had more time on the internet, there's been turbulent political climate and, you know, a heightened, I guess, focus on morality and this idea of allyship. Um, I think it makes so, it such an intriguing like topic. And like as a Zoomer living in Northside myself, <laughs> uh like the abundance of like cultural cringe and like cliche trends it's almost like too good to pass up acknowledging and making fun of I guess I just wanted to ask like um like talk a bit about some of these themes uh and what is it about Gen Z and more specifically Gen Z in Nam that inspired you to write the comedy we <laughs> I'm gonna say we because I'm definitely a part of this. And I think we all, we're all caricatures of ourselves. Like all of our characters is just ourselves times 10. And I think, especially when you talked about allyship, we just rehearsed a particular mm -hmm. scene where it's like the fake performative doing too much allyship mm -hmm. is explored in such a way that is, it's hilarious but I want people to like come and see the show and feel like we've read them to filth. Do you know what I mean? I want them to like, fuck, is that me? Is this play yeah. about us? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes it is. Well, I'm actually a Zuma millennial cusp. Oh um, God. <laughs> so I can see both sides. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, I was thinking about, you know, why specifically Melbourne? um and as cultural a cultural hub yeah well you know the cultural and the woke hub of australia yeah and the woke hub. well you know it feels <laughs> like you know from um i mean not to bring up my background but i'm from sydney um and when i moved here there was a definite um trend that i saw with the young people about um always being on top of work politics and allyship and um presence on social media going mm -hmm. to all the right places um and you know, while like, you know, allyship has, you know, wonderful like values under it, the way that we interpret it um, and we try to display that allyship in ourselves is quite embarrassing and misguided. Yep. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think also, you know, some of the things in Melbourne that are quite prevalent, like, you know, dressing poor while you're very rich. Um, I don't know, it's trying to fit into a scene in that is quite like exclusive mm. um, and exclusionary. Mm. And I think a lot of Australia thinks about Melbourne that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we, we actually, yeah, we wanted to explore what it's like to be in that scene and also looking um, yeah. from outside. Yeah. 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 And I liked your point, Matisse, um, about how, yeah, it is about like, you the audience like I hope you say that like oh damn that's me like that's funny and instead it kind of like maybe creates this space where it's not so like about offense I mean that's what the beauty of meme pages are like now is the fact that like this is so funny we're all just contributing to this whole big cultural like um trend that's like you know performative as it is we're all a part of it um yeah yeah I think the root of it though is it's about identity. So it's about what, how we perform ourselves and how we perform within certain social cliques and how our behavior changes depending on who we're with. And I think that that ties straight into this idea of 
you know, Zuma and what, what kind of, what you experience in your formative years of like, you know, 22, 23, 24, 25, like you're getting to know who you are and your values. And you see that in these characters as they like fuck up and they hurt each other and they, you know, try to get a leg up and they realize, you know, that maybe performing something is not always going to get you what you want or what you need. Yeah. 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 And I guess, you know, working as a three, what has been something that's been really enjoyable about creating uh, club night? It's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's just been so funny. Um, I was sitting in rehearsals today, looked at everyone and I said, I'm going to miss this. (laughs) We still have a month to go, but we've been doing it for like a year now. So long. It's been over a year we were meant to have a fringe run. We were meant to have a midsummer run. COVID, you know, did us a doozy both times. Yeah. So yeah. this is the final run. Um, we'll be the only one and we're doing it independently this time. But yeah. I think the best part of it has been I like learning from each other. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from these two. Um, and yeah, just like forming that connection and working on something that we all love um, yeah. that just came out of our tiny little pretty heads. For the people that come to view the play, I guess if there's anything at all that you would hope that people would come away with after viewing it, uh, what would it be? Laughter, joy, happiness, and shame. Yeah, as well as we really want people to feel um, like they see themselves in us, um, however, you know, exaggerated we are. And I think it's it's great because I you can see parts of yourself in each of our characters. Yeah. I don't think it's about like identifying with one of them. And I think maybe the other thing is we want to make our audience still feel loved and as if like we we know how ridiculous this city is. And I think we want to kind of give justice to to people's experiences um and yeah let them know that it is ridiculous and we we can laugh about it if they've ever felt um the way that any of our characters feel you know like excluded or as Mm. if they're not doing the right thing we want them to feel seen Mm. yeah yeah Yeah, and it's definitely not like moralizing or didactic like we're not saying this is how to do it like this is how to handle these really complex nuanced things that we're trying to navigate it's more just like let's take a step back and and have a laugh and yeah hopefully invite a new demographic into the theater mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited to see all of these 20 somethings mm-hmm. in yeah, their yeah. little <laughs> die horny caps and oh. rusty peach tops <laughs> <laughs> at miscellanea but under very dis- different circumstances i think because we're doing it at miscellanea as well um that's another tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. moment yeah. Yeah. um Time for plugging. Okay, so where can people, uh, you mentioned miscellaneous, obviously, but let's get into the details about it. So where can people watch it, buy the tickets and find out more info? So you can find the tickets um, at Club Night Guest List yeah. and also all of our social socials. Lottie is... I'm at Lottie Beckett. And Jell is... At... 
A-N-J-E-L underscore I-C-A. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at your never girlfriend. And tickets are already on sale. Yeah. You can purchase them now. I suggest that you do. Mm-hmm. And we are also throwing a party on the closing night, which is the 24th, where we'll be having live performances from many a queer artist and also some really sexy DJ sets mm. from all of your favorite NAM DJs. Awesome. So- Love this. Yeah, awesome. Um, we'll put all of the details online. Uh, we'll make sure people know where the link is as well. Um, but yeah, it sounds like an absolutely uh, amazing, well put together, exciting uh, theater uh, show, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, but yeah, congratulations, all three of you, for putting this together, and I hope it goes really well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. That was Matisse, Lottie and Angelica speaking about their upcoming play, Club Night. Club Night will be playing at Miscellanea every night from June 21st to June 24th, where the closing night will also have an after party. For all the tickets and deets, please go to the link in the Instagram page at club underscore night, night spelled N-I-T-E underscore guest underscore list or you can look up the event on event finder and be sure to give the meme page a follow uh, and you can also follow Matisse at your never girlfriend Lottie at Lottie Beckett and Angelica at A-N-J-E-L underscore I-C-A. Joining us now on Tuesday Breakfast is Shania from Anakbay in Sydney, a national democratic mass organisation of the Filipino youth. Shania is here today to speak with us about Anakbayan, the Filipino diaspora, and the impact of the recent presidential elections in the Philippines. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Shania. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me and allowing Anakbayan to speak on your platform. Oh, I'm so excited to chat with you this morning. Could you please start by telling us more about Anakbay and Sydney, the origins of the group and how you uh, became involved? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, Anakbayan is, you know, as what you said, a national democratic mass organisation of the Philippines. We have different chapters across the world. In Australia, there's two. One is in Sydney, which is us, and the other is in Melbourne. And the origin of Anakbayan is rooted from the historical youth movement in the Philippines that has been pivotal not only in advancing changes that concern our rights as youth, but also the broader struggle of the Filipino masses. This um, includes asking authoritative and corrupt governments, such as the Marcos dictatorship and and Estrada's failed administration. And, uh, yeah, the establishment of Anakbayan across different countries is primarily to expose the harsh reality that the large majority of Filipino people are placed in unparalleled crisis and oppression because, you know, the foreign and local ruling class control and take full advantage of the national resources of the country for their own gains. The primary reason, for example, as to why there's a large composition of Filipino diasporic communities around the globe is due to this crisis that pushes people away from their homelands. And as part of that community, it is, I think it is enough reason for me to become involved with the movement. 
Great. Thank you for that, Shania. So in terms of the kind of organising that you do in Sydney, um, are there current are there any current campaigns that you're working on or any that are coming up in the near future that you can tell us about? Um, I'm not buying Sydney is currently running the hashtag stop military aid PH campaign. Uh, we share this across um, the foreign chapters of Anakbayan. The Philippines, you know, as you know, it is a textbook example of how fascism directly intensifies, well, crisis intensifies, well, we have seen the rise of human rights violation, bombing of indigenous communities, and, you know, institutionalization of state violence and impunity through laws and policies that justified state-sponsored killings and illegal arrests of journalists and activists, and even lay people demanding for justice. And the Australian government, for example, is one of those primarily involved with what's been happening in the Philippines. Because as part of Australia's imperialist interest to expand in the Pacific, it actually offered technical assistance in drafting the Philippines' anti-terror law and even allotted budget from taxpayers' money to fund military aid that is used to carry out state violence in the Philippines. And so is there anything that... um I guess we as people who are non-Filipino can do to hold the Australian government to account and support um, the Filipino diaspora and organisations like like Anak Bay and Sydney? Yeah, of course. Um, I know that Australia recently held its, you know, elections and there's been like, you know, quote-unquote change in the government, but Although this, like, the change that we saw, we must hold these people accountable. And that includes, you know, making sure that uh, their interests actually reflects what the people actually want. And, you know, of course, people, like, don't want colonialism to continue to persist. And I think the most important thing that non-Filipinos could do to support uh, the Filipino struggle is, you know, by reading more about it. Because I, I've heard from like most of my colleagues that it is only when I told them about what's happening in the Philippines that they know what's happening, what's going on in the Philippines, you know. And I think it's important to know more about it, read more about it, listen to the stories of the people. Um, whatever comes across in social media, read about it, share it, talk to it to people, and join protests, help us in our campaigns, and that itself is a great revolutionary way of helping us. Great. Thank you so much for that. Um, there were some uh, the the presidential elections recently happened in the Philippines. Can you talk us through the results of this and the concerns that you have as part of the diaspora? Mm. Uh, there was actually a coalition of uh, families, fascist regimes that have strategically worked together through decades of historical revisionism and disinformation campaigns to be back in positions of power. And this has largely affected how people perceived history and neglect the dark memories of violence and extreme poverty under these rules. 
And the presumptive president, Baldo Marcos, as we you know, may have all known, is the son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos Sr. And the presumptive vice president is Sara Duterte, the daughter of the current strongman president, Rodrigo Duterte. And, you know, their return to power is just a grave insult to the hundreds of thousands of people that they've claimed tortured and illegally arrested altogether that, you know, up until now have not been granted justice. And we are already bracing ourselves as to what will happen within the next few days in the current state of the Philippines, where, you know, there's just rampant poverty, revisionism and violence inflicted upon the people. And I think it's also a huge responsibility for us in the diaspora to speak about it, knowing that people in the country are currently having their lives on the line just by speaking about what they're experiencing. So it's it's not entirely up to us, but there's like a large, like a huge expectation for us to actually pre- pressure foreign governments and you know, talk, like gather international support to uh, notice what's going on in the Philippines. Yeah, and like you were saying, you know, Australia has its own role um, in that as well, um, as it does in a lot of other countries. Um, And so to be able to hold them account for the role that they play um, is just as important. Yeah, exactly. Um, Unfortunately, we've run out of time this morning, um, but I know that there'll be someone from Anak Bayan Melbourne who will be joining the Thursday Breakfast crew um, for another interview this week. So it'd be great to continue some of these discussions then. But um, in the meantime, Shania, I did want to thank you for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast this morning and um, telling us more about uh, what's going on in the Philippines at the moment and uh, some of the concerns that uh, you share as part of the Filipino diaspora. And um, hopefully we can have you back on the show soon. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having us. So that was Shania from Anakbayan, Sydney, speaking to us just now. Uh, to find out more about uh, the organisation, you can go to their link tree, um, which we can link you to in the show notes, and make sure you tune into Thursday Breakfast this week as they will be joined by Anakbayan, Melbourne, to continue the conversation. <laughs> Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. I'm Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. 
So next up, we're going to play you a track by Samper the Great. This is her 2018 single, Energy. And you can catch Samper next week at the Forum on Wednesday and Thursday as part of the Rising Festival, which runs from the 1st to the 12th of June. Listen me. I beg you open your ears for any waiting that they say. Waiting at they talk. And a serious talk at they talk go. No bit longer ears speaking. Listen. In this world we deal, members say ya, one day go come when we all go. Oh, and that was the song Energy by Sam the Great. So today is an exciting day for Jessie Lloyd. It is the release date of her new album, Alien Songs Project Four Winds. Uh, it's a contemporized exploration of popular historical songs from Torres Straits. It brings together ancient languages and historical events with tropical island reggae grooves. Joining us this morning to speak to us about her music and this latest album is Jessie Lloyd. Welcome to 3CR, Jessie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us more about your music, um, your style, um, how you got involved um, in music, just for any listeners uh, who don't know? Um, oh, that was a lot of questions in one. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been a musician for a while, but um, 
my previous work, which is related to this, um, was uh, an album I did called Mission Songs Project. It's a research project to um, re research the historical songs from Aboriginal missions and settlements and reserves. Um, so this is just a kind of continuation on, on that, a second chapter of focusing on songs from the Torres Strait from around the same era. Amazing. So history and music. Sorry? No, that sounds, um, that sounds amazing. So your... Your latest album is, is being released today, so congratulations. Um, could you, you tell us more about this particular project? Um, well, this one is focusing around um, songs from the Torres Strait. Um, I spent many, many years um, tracing these songs and, and finding their roots and, and following their journeys, I guess, over the last 100 years. Um in, um, and to sort of all of the things that they've ended up in, some really amazing stories and adventures that they've had um, that really influenced um, or had a big impact uh, in Australian music, Australian music history. Um, yeah, so I, I, um, I'm very excited that it's finally released today because it's been many years working on this. Yeah, amazing. Um, and, you know, there, there was mention of, you know, the fact that a lot of these songs look at um, language um, as well as history. Um, why is it important for us to have songs in um, First Nations languages, in your opinion? Uh, well, a lot of the um, languages are still existing in the Torres Strait, um, which we're very lucky. So, um, and music has, has been um, one of the platforms that the language exists. Um, in researching a lot of old songs all over Australia, it was evident that the Torres Strait um, had always been encouraged and allowed to practice um, their musical traditions uh, as opposed to other communities around Australia, where music, their traditional music, especially uh, or music and language was not encouraged. So you can see the difference. Um, and now um, even the languages in the Torres Strait are considered severely endangered. So um, this album is, is is one way of trying to not preserve the language, but maintain it and 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 use it as a resource in the um, in the ecosystem of that language, so it has a, has a place to exist for future generations. Yeah, amazing. Um, and yeah, like you were saying, I think it's so important for us to, for these traditions and these languages to, to carry on to future generations. Um, and it's amazing that um, a lot of communities can practice um, uh, their, their culture and their languages, especially um, as we know, you know, through the history of colonisation that a lot of First Nations people were barred from doing so. Um, so it's great that we've got you've got this project to be able to um, share that with with um, communities around Australia um, to celebrate the release of this project. Have you got any events or performances coming up that you you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, um, well, uh, I've partnered with the City of Melbourne um, on their uh, Marbo Day celebrations. So we're going to be launching the album um, at Federation Square on Marbo Day, which is the 3rd of June. 
um, which I believe is not long from now. Uh, <laughs> and um, we'll be um, performing the album with a band, um, six-piece band, and also we'll be bringing down some of the song women I've been collaborating with uh, from the Torres Strait, and they'll be coming down to Melbourne. They'll be absolutely freezing, <laughs> but they're brave, and um, they're really excited about... Um, singing with me and sharing um, these songs um, that they've all been singing for generations um, at Federation Square on the 3rd of June. Awesome. And we can definitely um, share a link to that event so that um, people can access the information about that next month. Um, If there's one thing that you would like people to know about... um, uh, Torres Strait history, Torres Strait culture um, that you uh, have, um, I guess, discovered or explored through the project, is um, what would that be? Oh, um, well, firstly, um, the project's called Island Songs Project and island is the Creole word for island, I-S-L-A-N-D. Um, but I guess everything's connected and sometimes we categorize and we see Aboriginal and Torres Strait as two separate things and even Papua New Guinea as two separate things but those borderlines only existed quite recently and it's even the even connection to the Pacific so these songs prove that those borderlines were not existent 150 200 years ago and um so we're where Australian connections end and begin in regards to, you know, Northern Australia or Pacific or even Southeast Asia, not really relevant, and these songs prove that. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that, actually. Um, well, thank you so much for that, Jesse. Uh, before you go today, could you please tell us about the song that we're about to play, um, Black Swanner? Mm. One of my, my favourite songs at the moment. Uh, this song is in my grandfather's language, which is the Mabiag dialect of Kalalagawa, Western Torres Strait. Uh, Black Swan is about a pearl lugger, a boat. Um, and there was a big pearling industry in Northern Australia, from Torres Strait to Broome uh, to, and Darwin. And a lot of Torres Strait men worked on these pearl luggers, diving for pearl shells. And um, this is just a song that the divers would sing um, about a boat. Um, cutting through the water and um, uh, and <clears throat> uh, it's my attempt to tell the story of how our Torres Strait men worked and travelled on these boats that built a lot of the Australian industries uh, during that time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Jesse, and um, congratulations on the release of this album um, uh, and looking forward to um, hearing more of your music and, and learning more about the history and languages of the Torres Strait people. Um, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast this morning. Lovely. Thank you for having me. So that was Jessie Lloyd, um, who's an Indigenous artist, speaking to us about her latest album uh, called Island Song Project, um, which is being released today. As Jessie mentioned before, this next song comes from the album. It's her favourite and it's called Black Swana. Thank you. 
Jesse Lloyd's new song, Black Swana, and we'll be right back after this. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Next up on the show, we have Dr. Brandy Cochran. Dr. Dr. Brandy Cochran is a lecturer and researcher of criminology at Victoria University. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Um... Dr. Brandy Cochran is on the line now. Um, Dr. Brandy Cochran is a lecturer and researcher in criminology at Victoria University. Brandy's research focuses on broader 
security and the refugee and asylum-seeking community in Australia. Research and teaching interests include gender, migration, security, methods, crimes of the powerful, critical and queer studies. They're on the show today to discuss the far-right movement in the light of the recent elections and the impact of banning the swastika um, that may have on these extremist groups. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Hi, good morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Very well. Um, thank you for joining us to talk about this very important issue. Um, can you start off by just giving our listeners a bit of a background on the work and research you've been doing around extremism and the far right? Yeah, um, I've been doing some work with Professor Deborah Smith at the U as well, um, doing work around far right extremism, specifically thinking about gender and sexualities and how those intersect with the far right, but also doing work more broadly around far-right extremism in Australia and how it differs, you know, from other places and spaces. And also, you know, thinking about what are roles of women um, within the far-right. So a lot of different kinds of aspects um, that I've brought to the team most recently um, around far-right extremism involve that kind of gender and sexuality lens. Yeah, that's a super interesting lens, um, but with which to analyze the far-right movement, um, because as we know, it's, you know, gaining momentum globally and it's overwhelmingly led by men and mm -hmm. often excludes women entirely. Um, you know, why do you think these movements speak to men so much? Um, um, in the research that I do, I think that when we start to think about this idea of, um, you know, living up to this ideal of masculinity, um, a lot of people are um, very drawn, um, a lot of men are very much drawn to that idea that perhaps they can sort of um, fulfill other needs they're not getting in their life through the far-right movement. So I think there's a lot of um, a draw for people to um, move towards a movement that can fulfill those needs, and the far-right movement's doing that for a, lot of, um, for a lot of men, white men, obviously, in specific. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what else you've learned about the intersections of um, queer communities and gender with these movements? Yeah, um, I think just start with um, gender, because I've done a bit more on that um, as we've started through it, is that, um, you know, talking about, there's this sort of idea of, you know, quote-unquote traditional values, right, um, within the far-right movement that, you know, women should stay at home and, you know, be caring for the kids and, this kind of ideas, but then when we actually see their roles within the far-right movement, that's not being played out in the same way. You know, a lot of them have quite active roles within the community and are out there, um, you know, participating in these far-right movements in Australia. So it's a really interesting balance when we start to think about um, this idea of, you know, this perfect femininity that's sort of um, touted by far-right um, extremists. But yet, at the same time, those values aren't really reflected in the roles that the women are playing. They're actually playing roles of agency within um, the movement. Yeah, um, that's it's really interesting how that plays out in those spaces. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do you think that the recent change in government here in Australia is going to have any effect on the emergence and the kind of, um, yeah, like emboldening of these groups? Yeah, I mean, I think the recent election results, you know, obviously the conservative government being voted out after a decade is a, a good sign that people aren't 
you know, amassing around the far right movement, right? They're not saying, you know, the majority of people um, aren't saying, oh, we want to be more conservative and we follow the, um, the ideas that this group is peddling, right? Um, the far right still remains a very, very small minority. And even fewer um, in the, that sort of far right movement are, are violent extremists. So it's important to kind of put that into into perspective. Um, will it consolidate this sort of ideal um, of the far right, um, the new election? I mean, perhaps not any more than the anti-vax protested, which they attempted to co-opt um, and go in and do recruitment there. Um, you know, they already the, the far right movement in Australia is already very anti-government. It's already very. Um, it's already not not about following the laws of the country. Mm. So I don't, you know, really expect that they'll be changing any tactics or anything along that line. They already have a complete disdain for government and its laws, mm. and want to create their own societies. And so to say that the new change will, you know, consolidate their power or rally them to, to do anything. It's a bit uncertain at this point, but I think perhaps they're, they don't really, there's not the same, there's not an interest in that in the same way that we would imagine. Yeah. Um, can you also talk to us a bit about how the Australian, how this kind of culture differs in Australia as opposed to elsewhere in the world? Yeah, um, I think what we found is um, a lot of different um groups here have sort of taken on the mantle of um, what's happened in, in the United States most specifically. Um, but there is its own, you know, their own kind of, um, sorry, ideologies and things here that are specifically around like Australia for Australians kind of um, talk mm-hmm. that's very focused on sort of that, um, you know, the way that we understand like men in Australia needing to behave and you know, co-op, but co-opting some of those United States ideas around, you know, um, we need to have access to guns. So it, it's kind of it comes to be a mix of both in its own way. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, Upsetting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm always super interested in um, how American culture affects us here as well, especially, um, mm. you know, this kind of far-right um, Trump-following kind of extremist vibes that are very prevalent in America. Um, I'm always interested in how that affects us here and plays out in Australia because it is different. Mm. Yeah, it is different here how it plays out. Um, You know, you don't have the same kind of necessarily the same, um, you know, kind of understanding of extreme Christian values um, in the far right here. So they adopt some of what is coming out of America, you know, this, this, you know, using of hand symbols, the, um, you know, this, idea of, of the proud boys more broadly that's you know been been brought over here and the ideology has been brought over here but it has its own definitely has its own tone here and the way that the far right um extremist movement is working here um is is different as well um i think with you know again co-opting of the anti-vax protests um thinking a little bit about how they use um you know how they use um online spaces as well, mm-hmm. because of yeah. course, like the you, you know Australia is much less populated than the U.S. So thinking about you know you know social media isn't causing right far right um, extremism, but it's, it's it's creating it is making it easier for people to connect people, and I think that we've seen that a lot in rural Australia as well. 
Yeah, and I think you touched on an important point there about the Christian values, which is a big mm-hmm. difference between America and Australia. Um, so I, I imagine that, yeah, when they do try to import some of those ideologies, they would have to morph um, on, in Australia. Um, mm. One interesting thing that's happening at the moment in an effort to combat far-right ideology is that Victoria is looking at banning the swastika. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what sort of effect do you think this will have? Do you think it will have the intended effect of, um, you know, deterring the far right? Or do you think it's more likely to have an opposite effect? Um, well, I don't... I, I think the minute that we decide to criminalise something, um, we have to think about what those consequences might be. Mm. Obviously, the intention behind banning the swastika in Victoria is, you know, a good one, right? Yeah. Um, we, in Australia, actually have the highest number of Holocaust survivors worldwide. Um, and so we want to, we know that the swastika is, is not good and we don't want it out there. And it sets an intention that says we're anti-racist. And so in its symbology, it, it's good. However, um, criminalization, criminalization doesn't stop um, right-wing extremist actions. So they, everything, most of the things they do are, are quite criminalized, right? Like um, hitting firearms, um, you know, amassing around these different kinds of things. Um, so what I would think is that it leads to a net widening, you know, um, as we talk about in criminology. So it, it means it's going to gather more, it means the police are going to arrest more people, right, about this. But that those people are probably going to be, you know, what we think of as the sort of low-hanging fruit. Mm. Um, you know, the, the people, the, the younger people in the movement, people who perhaps don't have those leading roles um, in... Um, violent extremist movements, right? They're perhaps more just um, people who've been recruited or people who are showing their symbol that, you know, again, it's a very small amount that commit violent crime. And I don't see how banning the swastika will lead to um, right-wing extremists being, um, you know, being undermined. Or, or amassing on the other side. I think that they'll, you know, they'll see it as a badge of pride for being, you know, <laughs> arrested for having the swastika, you know, in public. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, mm. And, you know, I absolutely agree about criminal criminalization. It's never really the answer mm-hmm. to anything. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a fraught uh, debate. Um you mentioned earlier, you know, social media is a really big tool, especially here, to kind of um, connect a lot of people in the far right. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned as well, they um, infiltrate things like, uh, you know, COVID rallies and they kind of co-opt um, language, like um, the language around pro-choice for my body, my, body, my choice and things mm. like that. They co-opt language that um, people on the left use to actually protest for their rights, um, which makes it a little bit difficult sometimes for people to sift through and know what's right and left, um, Mm. you know. Do you have any tips for our listeners? Um, How can you be aware of, you know, what to kind of watch out for in those spaces? Yeah, actually, that's a really interesting question, Um, especially how we've seen in the recent election, you know, a lot more independence gaining power in certain regions and, you know, so it starts to become like, you know, you can be anti-labor and anti-liberal um, and, and claim of being an independent, but that space then 
becomes a bit fraught. You know, who is in, involved in that if we're anti the main parties or, you know, things like that. So I guess, you know, what you would listen for. I mean, I think what they um, what we talk about often when we're talking about violent extremism, that actual step into um, violence is, you know, it's, it's sort of a um, slow mentorship, right? Yeah. Where, you know, you're um, being introduced to ideas and then um, you know, asked to kind of prove um, what, that you're part of the group, right? So, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of your listeners aren't going to really have a problem knowing that there's an issue there. Um, but um, I think that it's just taking a moment and considering who you're marching with and, and for what purpose and what ends um, is, is really important because things can get really uh, confusing, like you said, out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, we're running out of time this morning, Brandy, but uh, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about this. Um, you know, it's, it is quite difficult uh, sometimes for people to be able to tell, and I think conversations like this, um, you know, across mediums are super important so that people are aware and it is at the forefront of people's minds. Um, mm-hmm. And so thank you for doing this research and for talking to us this morning. Yeah, thank you. So that was uh, Dr. Brandy Cochran from Victoria University talking to us about the far right and um, extremism in Australia. A caution to First Nations peoples that this ad contains sensitive content about the stolen generations. For many Aboriginal Victorian community members, the trauma from forced removal still runs deep. In consultation with community, the Victorian government has developed the Stolen Generations Reparations Package. We acknowledge there is still more to be done to address injustice experienced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. For more information, contact 1800 566 071 or please visit the website. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Yesterday, Fung sat down with Tilly Glaskodine from Another World Library to talk about their upcoming course, Utopian Visions, a short course on utopian theory, speculative fiction, and collective imaginings. In their conversation, they talk about imagining radical futures, the importance of community and care. Here's Fung and Tilly now. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, Tilly. It's so nice to be able to speak with you again. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back. So last time you were on the show, uh, you were speaking about a poetry event that Incendium Radical Library um, organised alongside the NGV. And this time you're here to speak about Another World Library and uh, the upcoming course Utopian Visions. As a bit of a reminder, could you tell um, our audience or our listeners a bit about Another World Library? Yes. So Another World is a small portable library and art project that I started at the end of last year. Um, It's a collection of books and resources that's focused on imagining a future that is, I guess, anti-capitalist, ecologically and socially just, and sort of focused or like primarily primarily is based on the importance of imagining in community, um, sort of in ways that are informed by the kind of critical texts that we have now. Yeah. And so coming up uh, at the end of May, you've got a course called Utopian Visions. Um, Can you just give us an overview um, about the course? How did you come to create something like this? Uh, Are you collaborating with someone else to to deliver these courses? Yeah, so um, I was lucky enough to be offered 
a space at bus projects at um in the arts precinct in Collingwood Yards um and so they've given me some shelves for the books and so also some event space sort of later in the year um and composite site which is next order bus they sort of said that we could use the space for whatever we wanted whatever I wanted um and so I was like I'll oh, be great to do a reading group I just really wanted more engagement with the books and for myself really like I really wanted to be in a reading group um and I spoke with my friend Vincent Silk who is a um, speculative fiction writer and writer um because we used to do a project called Undercurrent together where we would facilitate um workshops around sort of violence prevention and transformative justice, which in itself is a very kind of future oriented project, I guess, like a lot of um, sort of activist projects. Um, but we, yeah, so we've had a history of facilitating together. I know that Vincent's really interested in speculative fiction. So I, I approached him to do these workshops together. Um, they're kind of, it's kind of a reading group, but a bit more structured. We'll do a bit more guidance, a bit more facilitating and set the readings. Um, but we've actually set readings for the first, I think, three, and then there's five altogether. And I think that the last two, we're going to, or maybe even the last three, we'll see how we go. We'll kind of be a bit more responsive to what people want to read and the sort of directions that it's going in. So it will be quite, um, yeah, loose. Yeah, amazing. Um, and so according to one of the posts you um, made on Instagram uh, recently, says that course one for Utopian Visions will focus on family abolition, queer and feminist ecology. Could you tell us more about some of these themes? I guess I'm very interested in ideas about the future that are related to ecology, but that those theories sort of seep into all different aspects of the way that we relate to all things and all people. Um, so I guess sort of mixing family abolition with kind of queer ecology and kinship studies, I like the idea of seeing and I like reciprocity or um, connection with all things and how that leaks into a politics of care for everything kind of um, devoid of like a value system or a hierarchy. Um, mm. So when you think about family abolition, I think it really ties into abolishing borders, um, abolishing ideas of the nuclear family and that we just have care for those that we're like, see ourselves as being biologically related to or um, related to through kind of constructs of race or nationhood. Um, and when we sort of abolish those ideas, it was like, I think it creates a really beautiful space for thinking about, yeah, just like wider forms of connection and care and how that can yeah, expand to all things, which is a very, very um, quick and broad overview of two quite complex things, I think. That was a great overview. And I think makes me think of COVID and the pandemic. And it really stressed for, for me, at least, the importance of um, community chosen family, mutual aid, and yeah, breaking down those, those really limiting structures that have been put in place um, and really restrict how we behave and, and care for other people. So yeah, I think that discussing these themes and topics um, at this time in particular is really important. Absolutely. I think Sophie Lewis is a theorist that I like, and she talks a lot about um family abolition that's her focus um she had a book that came out a few years ago called full surrogacy now and has when the pandemic happened I listened to a lot of podcasts that she did and they were so interesting because she sort of spoke about how the pandemic forced people to shelter in place um but often the home um isn't a place to shelter for a lot of people or um, people don't have a place of shelter to have at all um and yeah these ideas that we can rely this like kind of yeah I guess mainstream idea that you can rely on family or like that you should rely on family which is extremely neoliberal as well I guess um 
does it just doesn't work for so many people mm. there's lots of different there's lots of different layers I think to family abolition that's really interesting um and also I think a lot of family abolitionists do seem to have an investment in sort of speculative fiction and science fiction um Emmy O'Brien who is another theorist or sort of around family abolition whose texts we'll read um she actually wrote a series of three texts that I thought were really incredible. One was about the history of family abolition um, and sort of the formation of the family in capitalism. Another one was um, her like kind of prediction for communizing care. That's the name mm-hmm. of the article from Pinko magazine. And it's about how um, really it's essential to abolish the family and to communize care, like to have broader networks of kinship and care um, for climate action as well like we can't all have a washing machine we can't all um have individual cars like these kind of things that can be shared on a basic level and then also you know um cooking for lots of different people having more communal approaches to lots of different things um is actually really integral to saving the planet as well Mm. and then the final thing that she wrote which I thought was incredible was a um article for the trans history archive but it was a speculative article about um it was Emmy, um, Michelle O'Brien, interviewing um, a young person from the future who lived in a post sort of post um, capitalist world and a world where the family had been abolished and talking this speculative piece, like talk to this young person about their experiences and their life. And it was so beautiful. Um, and yeah, it really dealt with a lot of things that I think I'm also interested about transformative justice. And it kind of tackled that a lot, like this young person had experienced violence and it was talking about how their experience of violence had been um, dealt with by their community, which was, yeah, really incredible work. Yeah, it seems like quite a radical act to be able to imagine um, a socially and ecologically just future. And um, especially now that we've just had a federal election and we've seen the importance of grassroots campaign and and community organizing do you have any thoughts on the importance of speculative fiction and and imagining futures that are so different especially after an event like a federal election yes I mean I think this is kind of what I think about all the time and it's the sort of the point of the, pro- the project I definitely um I like what you said about the radical act of um, imagining futures. I think that's really what my politics is sort of based around at the moment. Um, and this project is definitely based around that. I think um, there's a book that's really popular called Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. And that really spoke to me. And I think something that I was feeling, which was the sort of the inability to imagine anything past capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the side of the pandemic, there's the bushfires, Black Lives Matter, um, a lot of I think people really being angry and upset about the the state of the world, but not really knowing how to move forward. Or I think maybe this is, I don't want to speak for everyone because I think this is definitely something that maybe I've just felt, but I think a lot of people feel this way, but this feeling of knowing what I'm against, but not necessarily knowing what I'm for or what I really Mm. want. And I think when we think about capitalist realism, the idea there is that to not be that the imagination is a political tool and whoever has power over the sort of the fields or the scope of what is imaginable has immense political power it's very much in neoliberal capitalist colonial interest to limit what is imaginable because really that's how systems maintain themselves by making themselves seem natural on one hand but also beyond being natural um the only way or the only possible way and I think we hear that all the time through neoliberal discourse or through capitalism and also kind of structures like the family or the police or the prison 
um, and you know state authority like we constantly are hearing that this is the only way possible and that without it there'll just be chaos or that people can't govern themselves and I think for me that's a real tragedy and um, I think there is a kind of crisis of the imagination or and there is also a move I think in kind of left discourse towards a more um, imaginative utopic politics or a horizontal politics that's not just in rooted in critique but also in this kind of like creative imaginative imaginative process um, because I think once people can believe that there's something else possible that helps us to imagine what, both what we want but also helps us get there I think what we think is possible in the present changes how we act in the future and how we act in the present the first course is fully booked out, um, but I imagine there'll be a lot of people who are interested um, in something similar in the future. Can you tell us about the format of the course and, and whether there'll be any similar events happening in the future? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's unfortunately booked out. Quite a few people messaged, but I just really wanted it to be quite small. It's 15 people. Um, but if people do want the reading packs, you can email me and I'll email them to you I'm starting a mailing list um but the course is it's I'm excited I think it I don't I didn't want to do something that was strictly a reading group or something that was like a lecture series or like a really kind of university course I just wanted something that was a bit more comfortable a bit more exploratory and very experimental for me like I haven't done this before um I've run workshops before but not in in this way well uh, I think that's all we have time for today. But thank you, um, Tilly, so much for joining us on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Thank you. Oh, I actually forgot to say, because you asked what future things are coming up. This is probably the only course planned at the moment um, in the Utopian Visions future, but um, I might do another one depending on how this goes. And I'm actually doing a residency at Watch This Space Gallery in Alice Springs. So I'm going to do a series of workshops then as well. Um, and I have a few things planned for the end of the year. So there will be more things coming up as well. Okay, great. Which means we'll definitely have to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, thank you so much for having me today. It was really lovely to talk to you once again. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. That was a conversation that Fung had with Tilly from Another World's Library. While the course Utopian Visions is now fully booked, you can request reading packs and learn more about Another World Library by visiting anotherworldslibrary.com. There is a longer version of the interview that you can listen to at 3cr.org.au slash Tuesday Breakfast. Next up, we're going to play a song by Black Rock Band, and this one is called Moja Key.
So that was uh, an amazing song by black rock band that Jasmine um, has brought to the show. So thank you so much for that, Jasmine. That was a great song. It's called Mojaki. Um, and that brings us to the end of our show this morning. Um, we had a massive show today. We started off listening to a conversation Jen had with Matisse, Laurie and Angelica about Club Night Play, um, a play about the different Melbourne scenes. Um, if you wanted to know more about that, we will link to all the information in our show notes later today. Um, Fung then spoke with Shania from Anak Bayan, Sydney, about what's happening in the Philippines and about the Filipino youth diaspora here in Australia. Um, Fung then spoke with musician Jessie Lloyd about her new album, um, Alan Song's Project for Wins album, which we will also link to in our show notes later today. Um, I then spoke with Dr. Brandy Cochran, who is a lecturer and researcher in criminology at Victoria University about their research into how gender impacts the far-right movements and the possible impacts of banning the swastika here in Victoria. Um, and then we listened to a conversation that Fung had with Tilly Glaskadine from Another World Library um, talking about the upcoming course Utopian Visions, a short course on utopian theory, speculative fiction and collective imaginings. That brings us to the end of our show this morning. Um, stay tuned to 3CR and um, tune into breakfast shows for the rest of the week. <laughs> 